Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. And we're back with Carolina Newsmakers. Betty, uh, Becky Gray is our guest. She's the Senior Vice President of the John Locke Foundation, a frequent guest on our program. Uh, and she formerly was a regular panelist on Tom Campbell's former program, North Carolina Spin, which I miss greatly. Uh, and uh, uh, she writes a monthly column for the Carolina Journal. Uh, and uh, where, where, did, where did you come from? I know you went to Queens College in Charlotte. I, I grew up in Atlanta and oh. came to North Carolina to go to college at Queens College in Charlotte. And I like North Carolina so much, I've never left. Well, and uh, we all love North Carolina. North Carolina is a great state. I mean, I, I said this on the air several times. There's only three kinds of people, people who live here, people who want to live here, and people that don't know about it. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. And speaking of North Carolina, the census data will soon be coming. I guess soon will be coming out, and it's going to show, uh, of course, continued growth in North Carolina. And one of the things that's likely to result from that will be uh, a, a reapportionment of the number of congressional seats. And North Carolina is likely, well, almost assured of gaining one. And uh, uh, that means we'll have to redistrict again. And redistricting is always, uh, uh, how do I say this? It's always, no matter which party is involved, there seems to be a little party politics involved in it. And, uh, to their credit, the Democrats admit that they used it, and the Republicans, to their credit, admit that they use it. So it, that's not a secret. But uh, how do you see redistricting as we uh, add a 14th congressman? What? How will that shake out? Will the Democrats end up with another seat, or will the Republicans be able to hold on and gerrymander uh, uh, the district so that they gain that seat? Well, you know, that that's the big question. Um, you know, just a couple points. The Republicans, the in North Carolina, the General Assembly is the body that draws the districts for the North Carolina House, the North Carolina Senate, and our congressional districts. Republicans are in charge of the House. They have the majority there, so they will be in charge of drawing the maps. Now, Don, over the years, we've had a number of court cases. And when I say a number, that is an understatement. We, we have tons, we have had tons and tons and tons of lawsuits um, over the redistricting. When Democrats were drawing the maps, Republicans sued. When Republicans draw the maps, the Democrats sued. So we've been back and forth with this. But the, the good thing about having those lawsuits is through all of that, each time we get a new set of rules or new set of criteria that the courts say you have to do this. And it starts with going back to the one man, one vote provision that is guaranteed through the our constitution that you know guaranteed the representation, one man, one vote. So what we'll do when we get these census numbers is we'll take all the number of people that live in North Carolina, we expect it to be well over 10 million because that's what the current population is. We'll divide that number by 14 and that's how many people will each live in the 14 congressional districts that we have. Now, you know, people choose to live where they want to live. They don't get assigned where they live based on the census numbers or redistricting. So what we'll see is, you know, then what you do is you begin to draw those districts with the first thing you've got to do is you've got to have the same number of people in each of those districts. And then it's things like trying to keep counties whole, trying not to break up different groups, to keep communities of interest with 
common interests together so that the whoever represents that district is representing people with common interest um, that districts be contiguous there are there's a whole list of criteria that was established through the Stevenson case one of the big redistricting lawsuits and then of course the the Voting Rights Act that was put into place in the 1960s also dictates how these districts are drawn. So we have all these rules in place is kind of my point. It's not just uh, the wild, wild west. It's not just willy-nilly. We actually have sets of rules that the General Assembly, whoever is drawing the map, has to comply with. So, you know, we'll see how that, that comes out. We don't have those census numbers yet. It was delayed because of the pandemic. And once we get those, what we anticipate, Don, is that the General Assembly will come back in the fall, September, October, probably, to have a special session just to do the redistricting. And again, they will draw all 50 of the state Senate seats, 120 of the House of Representatives seats, and what, as you mentioned, what we anticipate, not 13 congressional seats, but 14 under the new census numbers. And that almost guarantees that uh, Raleigh and Charlotte will have a congressman that unless they split the, the uh, Wake County and Mecklenburg County, uh, will almost have a congressman that serves just one county. Right. And what we've seen, Don, it's really kind of interesting when you look at those demographics and you look at the shift over the years, um, what we've seen, and I don't think North Carolina is unique in this, but what we've seen is as people move around North Carolina or as people move to North Carolina, our urban areas are becoming more heavily congested. More people are moving to the urban areas. It's where the jobs are. It's where the cultural things are. It's where more people want to live. So what's happened over the years is the districts in the urban areas have really gotten smaller because there's more people packed in there. And the districts in the rural areas have gotten bigger because there's fewer people that live there. So when you look at the, the switch of those maps over the years, you can see how that those population centers shift. So that's, you know, you're exactly right. And it's not just for the congressional maps, it's for the all the legislative maps. So what we see a lot of times is, a lot of the discussions at the General Assembly are not necessarily Republican versus Democrat. They're urban versus rural, you know, whether that is with infrastructure and transportation funding, whether it's the way the schools are set up, whether it's where highway money goes. Um, you know, a lot of it is driven by those different population centers that we have, which makes makes the politics and the policies in North Carolina really interesting. And another thing that I'm going to be interested to see is as we go more with more remote working opportunities where it doesn't really matter where people live, they can work from anywhere, having educational opportunities for their kids. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether we see some shifts in those demographics where people who maybe have lived in downtown Charlotte now want to live in, um, you know, the rural part of eastern North Carolina and are able to do so because of different um, work opportunities that are available through remote working and, and those kind of things. So um, it, it'll be really interesting to see and how, what North Carolina looks like, and again, how we're going to determine where the representation is in North Carolina. So um, the, the redistricting happens every 10 years. Um, this is the year that it's going to happen. And so we'll see, we'll see a lot of fireworks, I suspect, at the General Assembly later in the fall. 
We had, of course, a very high-profile senatorial race in the Tillis race because uh, the uh, balance of power for the Senate was up. And, uh, of course, it turned out to be uh, that Tillis won, and it kept the Republicans at least in the ballpark because while there's a 50-50 majority with the vice president voting to give the Democrats control, it only takes one senator (laughs) to, to change on a particular issue. Uh, the next election, if we think the Tillis race was important, uh, the Burr seat is going to be just as high profile because, of course, obviously the Republicans are going to be fighting to, recon- uh, to recapture control of the Senate. Um, we've already had a number of people who have announced, how are you handicapping that race at this point in time? And do you, who else do you think will enter the fray? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, this is going to be five questions in all that. Right. <laughs> uh, well, let, let me see if I can take them one at a time or, or kind of figure out something here. But um, yeah, the birth seat is going to be interesting, too, because there's not an incumbent. I mean, don't forget in the Tillis race, Tom Tillis was defending his seat. And um, so th- this is this race really is wide open. And we've seen Mark Walker on the Republican side, former congressman, has declared that he is running for that seat. Um, Erica Smith, Jeff Jackson, who have served in the North Carolina Senate, are both running. Uh, Lara Trump is talking about getting into that race. Uh, she is originally from Wilmington. I think an NC State graduate, uh, President Trump's daughter-in-law. is. She has not made a decision, but she's kind of toying with it. Um, former Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Sherry Beasley, has, I believe she has announced, I mean, has anticipated that she is going to enter that race as well. So, um, you know, it will be, we'll, we'll have a, because it's an open race, I think we're going to have two very, um, very competitive primaries on both the Republican and the Democratic side. And the other thing that I think we can count on, Don, is there'll be a lot of money that was spent on this race. And as you mentioned, a lot of national interest in this race because of the impact that it will have on the division of power at the U.S. Senate. And it's an important race, not only in North Carolina, but at the national level for who controls um, the, the U.S. Senate. Well, as we've talked about, the growing number of people who are registered under affiliate, uh, about one-third of the population, uh, so about one-third of the electorate, is going to be uh, choosing because an unaffiliate can choose which primary they elect to vote in. Uh, obviously, almost every unaffiliated voter has leanings one way or the other, and it's been said that, that probably a slight majority of the unaffiliates lean Republican, but that doesn't mean that they might not uh, choose to vote on the Democratic slate if they see someone there that they like. So the unaffiliates are going to be really interesting to watch during this uh, primary uh, that is coming up, especially with the long list of candidates. Right, and and really bringing different things to the to the table. So you've got um, you you've got got choices with that. Um, so, you know, you're, you're exactly right. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting how those unaffiliated voters will really make a difference. And I think what we're going to see in some of the candidates, we're already seeing them tying themselves to some of the national candidates, whether it's the Biden administration, uh, Joe Biden himself, or, um, Kamala Harris, or, 
President Trump and, you know, Lara Trump certainly is tying herself to her father-in-law. And so, again, it, it's not just about the candidate. It's not just about North Carolina. We really are on the national stage. And I think that'll have an impact. I think how Joe Biden is doing, what the economy looks like, and how optimistic people feel about the direction of the, com- of the country, where we are in this pandemic recovery, Um, I think are going to be huge factors in how people decide who they vote for in 2022. Okay. Now, as everyone who listens to this program knows, I'm a registered unaffiliate. Okay. So let's say that I decide to vote uh, in the Democratic primary. And let's say there's a runoff in both parties. In the runoffs, can I change and then flip over and vote in the Republican primary? I can't. I know I can't vote in both. Can I change from the, the primary election and the runoff elections? You know, don't, we'll have to look that up. But I think that once you make a decision in the primary, which party you want to vote, which ticket you want to vote, you have to stick with that. I don't think you can change. How would they know? But that's a good question. Well, because when you go to the when you go to well, the, that's right. the poll uh, and you yeah. get your ballot, you know, there's there's a, a record there of it. Yeah. You're right. I, I was. Uh, Thank you. They, they didn't necessarily know who I voted for. Yeah, but, and just you know, real quick along those lines, while we're talking about election, I'll just mention that um, even today there's a um, there's a bill going through the General Assembly that's looking at making some changes to our absent the way that we vote absentee and some of the other voting regulations, um, making sure that people have a photo ID. Um, provisions where they would have a mobile unit that would actually go to people's houses to provide them what they need to get an ID. So some interesting things there around some of the voting regulations. And again, learning from the pandemic, what can we do better in the next election? So the General Assembly's taken a good hard look at that. Becky Gray is our guest. We have one final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. We're going to turn in the next segment to talking about the uh, the current session of the North Carolina General Assembly and what's up there for consideration. And Becky will give us her views on how they're proceeding. And we'll do that when we return with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look. Flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team, but I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. We want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. 
Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. And we're back with the, the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers for today. Uh, Becky Gray is our guest. Uh, she is Senior Vice President of the John Locke Foundation, works in policy and uh, studies these issues, and we have had her on numerous times to explain these more complicated issues. We've already talked in many cases about uh, the first segment about the pandemic and the effects in North Carolina and how we've sort of come out of this thing better uh, than we might have expected. We've talked about the uh, sort of the future of the redistricting and the fact that we might be adding a congressman. And uh, we've also talked about uh, a number of other issues in the other segments. In this segment, I want to turn to the current session of the North Carolina General Assembly uh, in session now. And uh, a couple of things that we start off with is one, uh, the General Assembly is blessed with the with not having a severe uh, money problem. I mean, there's, there seems to be enough money to go around. And sometimes, Becky, that's a problem. When you've got more money than you thought you were going to have, that can also be a problem because all of a sudden, all the hands come out all at once. Right. And, yeah, you know, particularly now because of the concerns about what we're left with with the pandemic. Uh, Don, we talked in an earlier segment about concerns about the learning loss that we have for our students and the big problem that that's going to be to address. Uh, but, yeah, the you know, because of smart decisions that we've made in the past, putting money aside when we had extra money, really watching every penny that we spend and making some really good, smart fiscal decisions um, have, have left us in really good shape. So we were we were in good shape going into this. The economic downturn, the problems that we anticipated might happen did not happen. The revenue has also continued to, to be on track, if not even a little bit ahead of where we were. So North Carolina is in, in very good financial shape. Now, it doesn't mean by any stretch that we ought to go out spending money and draining all the savings accounts and building debt. You know, this, this is not the time for any of this. We need to continue on this fiscally conservative, fiscally smart path that we've been on. But um, the General Assembly is, is, is looking at this. They We just got the governor's budget, which the governor, probably not surprisingly, if you, if you have been keeping up with this, wants to spend a lot of money. His budget is about, gosh, it's close to 12% increase in spending over last year's budget. Um, he's proposing a $4.5 billion bond and then um, some other, you know, again, kind of spending the money that we have. So the General Assembly now is, is putting their budget together. And I think we'll see very different priorities as the General Assembly puts their budget together. But Don, the other thing that we have is we have additional COVID money coming in from the federal government. And there's a question of, you know, again, because North Carolina has been so responsible financially, we don't really need a big influx of money from the federal government. But Joe Biden and, and Congress have approved this. And so now they're looking at how do we, if we're going to get this money, how do we spend it well? How do we spend it smart? Um, and how do we spend it for the long run? So kind of two big things happening at the General Assembly over the next several weeks up to the new fiscal year. And one is how do we spend the rest of this COVID money in directions that 
are smart or responsible and have a long-term plan. So I think you're going to see things, and, and some of that is directed from the federal government. There's not a lot of wiggle room or leeway, but a lot of it is directed to continuing with the pandemic rollout with the vaccine and taking care of the testing and all of the things that we still need because of the, the pandemic and the COVID infections. There's money to help businesses again, small businesses get back up on their feet, get their employees back. Um, there's money, I think, for additional unemployment benefits for those folks who have been out of work for months through no fault of their own so that they can at least pay their bills to, to get through this. And then a lot of money dedicated to education and, again, getting our kids back on their feet. So we're going to see this COVID money coming from the ARP plan, A-R-P. It's an acronym for the American Recovery Plan. And then in addition to that, we'll have the state budget coming together that will fill the, the core functions that we need using state money, state taxpayer money that comes in. And so for that, we'll be doing things like enrollment growth in our schools. We'll be doing um, needs through the health and human services, funding the court system, addressing those needs. Um, perhaps raises for state employees, particularly some of those frontline workers that we've seen. So a lot of considerations there. Um, Donna mentioned earlier in the segment about broadband and access to broadband. That's something else that's a high priority for the General Assembly is there is some federal money coming in to help with the, the lines and laying the infrastructure for the broadband. And then it's how do you deploy that? How do you get it to the people that need it? So we're going to be seeing some efforts along that way as well. And, and, and that's an issue that it seems to have bipartisan agreement that uh, that's good for all segments of the population. Uh, broadband not only helps in telehealth, but education and commerce. So there seems to be a lot of agreement that uh, broadband is a uh, priority and I, I expect that we'll see a lot of that money go that way. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And there is a lot of there is a lot of agreement. And you know, there is agreement across party lines on a lot of this. You know, where we get down to it is, okay, how are we going to solve the problem? And there may be differing ideas of how to do that. Um, in education, I think there is wide agreement that this learning loss that we're going to be dealing with with our students is something that needs to be done. I, I, I think it's a really good idea. Others who think about these things in the same way that I do think that offering additional school choice and additional opportunity for parents to choose what is best for their students is a real is, is the way that we should go about this. Um, you know, others believe that putting more money into the traditional public school is the way to go. And probably at the end of the day, the answer to that is we probably should do both um, to ensure that that all options are available to the children with education education. Universities is something else. You know, not something we really haven't gotten into, but I know is really dear, near and dear to your heart is, as many North Carolinians is our university system and our community college system. And what we've seen through this pandemic of the way, again, delivering education in different ways. And are there things that we can learn out of this? You know, will we, will we go, will we ever go back to every class will be offered in person in a brick and mortar school? Or do we look, need to look at creative, innovative ways to deliver education and higher education. Um, another thing that I think we're really going to be kind of doing some soul searching on is the value of higher education and how we pay for that and how we offer students the best value for the money 
um, and, and not have them graduate with crushing debt that takes them years to pay off. You know, how can we do these things better? So I think there's some real lessons um, that we can learn through this pandemic of thinking outside the box of how do we deliver higher education for the best value, the best value of dollars, best bang for the buck for our university students, as well as community college students. Well, we, 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 we always get back to infrastructure, and we have two problems there. We have a number of, uh, of our infrastructure projects that involve replacing worn-out infrastructure, but uh, we've also talked about the growth of North Carolina, and of course, every time somebody moves in, we've got to get infrastructure to that residence or that new subdivision or that new population area, so infrastructure is is always going to be there also, and probably for a growing state, even more important than we might think. You know, you, you are so right. And when we talk about infrastructure, I think broadband has become part of that conversation. We also think about roads and bridges and, you know, how, how are we going to travel around the state? But the other thing is, is the water and sewer infrastructure that we have that is critical for development, not only for residents, people moving into the state, but businesses as well. And one of the challenges that we have in North Carolina is many of our water and sewer systems were built 50 or so years ago with materials that were designed to last for 50 years. So we're at the point where we're going to have to replace those. It's an expensive proposition and also an opportunity to think about, you know, how can we do this better? As North Carolina's population grows, the systems that we've had in place for 50 years may not work as well as we want them to that we need to really think of how do we how do we do it not only for today, but how do we plan for the next 50 years? Thank you. One of the questions that uh, seems to be, have a, a real uh, uh, interest to a lot of people, and they feel very strongly about it both ways, and that's the expansion of Medicaid. Uh, and, uh, what, what's your feeling of that? Well, I think that um, in, in North Carolina, under the current system of Medicaid that we have, over 20% of our population is on Medicaid. Um, 54% of the babies born in North Carolina today are born under Medicaid. Medicaid was designed as a safety net project program for um, aged, disabled, poor children, poor mothers, um, you know, to help with, with again, those safety net programs that we think about that those most vulnerable people who we as a society have an obligation to help. And when you talk about Medicaid expansion and expanding that program, that puts pressure on the program that's in place to fulfill those needs for the people that we have. Under the Medicaid expansion program that the, the governor and others are talking about here in North Carolina would expand Medicaid to an additional 600,000 people, 80% of those folks are able-bodied, childless, working age adults. So it is not, this is not just expanding the number of people on Medicaid, but this is widely expanding the intent of the program. Um, Medicaid is a, is a vulnerable program. And many of the studies show that the, the 
people who are getting the Medicaid services are not getting the best health care. It's not widely available. We need to fix that program for the people that are on it now before we start talking about expanding it. And if the problem is that people can't afford health insurance, then instead of expanding Medicaid, let's look at ways to bring down the cost of health insurance, bring down the health of the cost of health care so that people can afford the health insurance and the health care that works best for their families. So it's a different way of looking at it, Don. And some of the some of the ways that you could do that would be to repeal the certificate of need laws, to expand the scope of practice, to um, use telehealth more, get uh, have association health plans. There's lots of ways to do that that doesn't involve an expansion of a program that was designed for a certain population. But you're right, controversial. I think we'll continue to I think we'll continue to talk about this. Yeah, this one is this along with redistricting will probably be the most controversial issues that the General Assembly will have. Uh, at least in this session. Well, Becky, thank you so much for sharing with us your thoughts and opinions. Uh, by the way, I hear a roll of thunder as we're recording this program in the background. Uh, if you are listening to a station that carries only the half-hour version, you can hear the entire broadcast by going to carolinanewsmakers.com or you can share the broadcast with a friend. Uh, Jason Kong has produced our program and he'll have another guest for us again next week on the same group of stations. So the next week, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.